That was a very comprehensive answer, Kim. <laughs> yeah, it is helpful to get like a, a glimpse in, you know, into what kind of analysis that you would do to help people decide how much insurance they need. And how important is it, right? Like making sure that people's families are okay. What if you were an insurance advisor and you didn't spend the time to figure things out and your your spouse passed away and there wasn't enough money? How, you know, how horrible, <laughs> how horrible. <laughs>
uh, issues in, in and around insurance. So yes, lots to talk about today. We're going to be taking it back to the basics. So I think our viewers will probably be all ears because it can sometimes be confusing and difficult to find information on this topic. Yeah, and yeah. insurance is, is, I mean, yes, there's application in family law, but it's so broad and, and such an important part of our life, our lives and the structure of our society economically. Uh -huh. um, for that reason, I took insurance law while I was, it's one of the classes that I made sure I took because I'm like, well, I buy insurance. I sure would like to know how this works. Right. Um, and that didn't focus so much on life insurance per se. It was more like, you know, car, all the insurance, but um because it's so important, that's why I wanted to learn about it. Mm. Now, just a, uh, I just want to let people know what's going on here. Um, because if you're watching this, you saw me like leaning over to like read our intro. Um, that's because I have this thing. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a garbage can. I'm just going to describe it for those of the us that can't, or those of you that can't see, like a mesh. Maybe like a robotic torso of some kind. <laughs> what what is it, Evan? What are you showing us? Well, as you've been able to hear, and probably can still hear because it's not working great, is my office is all hard surfaces, and it has like a vaulted ceiling. It's like a fifteen foot ceiling, which is why I need a step ladder to open my and close my air conditioned vent. It's way up there, and so I'm so echoey. And when I'm editing these videos, it bugs me. Um, and so I was like, I need to do something. So I thought I'd try this thing out and I was like, oh yeah, it'll just make it perfect. But um, I don't think it's doing the job. So I'm probably gonna take it back, but just thought I'd let people know, you know, a little glimpse behind the curtain here. Oh. Tapestries, I mean, curtains brings to mind tapestries. That's what they use in like, what, middle-age castles or something. So maybe you need to go like medieval on, on your sound issues. Yeah, medieval. <laughs> I actually prefer, to, I, I like you call them middle-age castles. That's, I'm kind of a middle-age castle. Is that not the right thing? I told you I'm silly. Things could come out of my mouth today. I, I apologize in advance. No, that would be great though. Tapestries <laughs> would be epic, but uh, you know a tapestry maker, Heather. Oh, I'll I'll look. I'll keep my ears open. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. That's enough of that, I guess. Kim. Okay, Kim. Um, insurance. What is the deal? Where do we begin? Well, yeah. I think there's a, a, a natural place to start and it feeds into a little bit of what you were saying before on how you were learning about insurance and, and the type of insurance you were learning about wasn't maybe life insurance, it was another type. So it might be important for people to know that there's two types of insurance people. There are exams that professionals write to become licensed to sell life insurance and critical illness, disability, travel insurance, those types of things. And there's a whole separate licensing and different type of professional who sells home and auto insurance and those general liability insurances for businesses. So there's two of us. And sometimes people will reach out to me looking for liability insurance on their business um, or they want home and auto insurance. And I have to send them off to a different type of insurance professional because that's a huge topic in and of itself. It's, it would be very difficult to specialize in both. I, I'm sure there's somebody out there who does it, but 
but you'd have to be pretty smart cookie to, to tackle both those topics. So mm-hmm. in the investment world, wealth planning world, um, typically you'll find life insurance people and accidental, um, or accident and sickness insurance people. So we're covering off, uh, the, the personal side of things, so to speak. So that's important. So look for a licensing before you call somebody so you know what they're actually able to provide in terms of solutions. Yeah, yeah. The little insurance broker logo of like the purple person hugging themselves. Yeah, they're sort of, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's usually, um, correct me if I'm wrong, Kim, but that's like the, uh, the type of insurance that you don't uh, sell. That's like, those are the people that are selling car insurance and content insurance and stuff. Yes, I believe you're correct. Um, whereas you are doing more of like the, the financial planning type of insurance or insurance that can be used or as part of a financial plan. Yep. You betcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah to be clear, Mike, the, uh, the insurance law class covered all the insurance, all of it. But, uh, from the legal perspective, I, I was already familiar a little bit with it, but, um, yeah, I, you know, I learned stuff about how, if you lie on the, uh, the questionnaire, then you're not covered. Right. Yeah. And you you can get a return of your premiums and that's about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That that happens a lot in the banking world. So the, there are um, people who take out insurance on their debts. So mortgage insurance you see at the bank and um, most of those people are not insurance licensed. So there has been cases in the past where insurance is sold and questions are answered, maybe not giving up all the information because people, a non-insurance person is selling the insurance. So they maybe aren't up to speed on how important it is to get that right. Um. And then what happens is bank insurance is... Um, generally not put in place until you make the claim. So you don't find out that you did it wrong until you're actually placing that claim. And it can be a pretty, a pretty sad state for a family. So yeah, it's pretty, I think in my view, it's pretty important to have a licensed insurance person going through those questions with you to make sure that you get that part right. And your insurance is actually put in place and, um, and approved. Okay, so you just blew my mind with that information. Um, it's so those bank sort of policies are not in place, like they're not reviewed and confirmed until a claim is made. Yeah, that's correct. So they're cheaper and easy wow. to put in place, and there's just generally mm-hmm. a few questions. Mm-hmm. But if there's anything you don't add to those um, those questions, and and the insurance company goes back to look at the questions and they find out upon review that you answered something incorrectly, then that insurance is, is, is not approved. It's not put in place. The claim will not, not go through. There was a W five. You can find it on the, on the internet. You search YouTube, a W five several years ago, um, did a couple case studies on insurance sold through the banks. And it's, you know, it, it, it does it can work and it does pay out if you do it right, but mm-hmm. there can be some some pretty significant issues if, if there are some mistakes made along the way. Right. Something to be cautious about or know about. Is that the underwriting process? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So nobody's looking at the answers to the questions, going back to 
to the um, the person applying for insurance and saying, can I get some clarification on this? Are you sure about this? Or you never went to this appointment. Why was that? That just doesn't happen. And uh -huh. that's a really important part of the whole insurance process. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Sorry, I feel like I'm leading us down to uh, like a rabbit hole here, but I, I appreciate that like some people might be buying that kind of insurance on year one of their mortgage, but not making a claim until year 15. So how do they like square that? Because lots of stuff could happen health-wise in those intervening years. So um, do they try and look back retrospectively at when that person answered those questions? So, or do you even know? That might not be a fair question, Kim. Yeah, my, my understanding is that the bank doesn't review these questions when they're answered originally. Yeah. Because there is, there's no insurance person who's made a commission and mm -hmm. is required to service these clients. Mm. So, because um, the, the bank... Uh, reps who sell the insurance, they get compensated a different way than a typical insurance advisor. So gotcha. my understanding is that when people fill it out, they, they, they had better answer the questions fully, completely, and absolutely correctly. Otherwise, uh, there's probably not going to be somebody poking them down the road saying, Hey, how do, let's review those questions. Did you answer them properly uh -huh. and, and talk about that? So yeah, wow. very important. So I feel like you have maybe some alternatives to suggest to that type of insurance. Is there something else that um, that people can look at? Or I, I think many people are many people gravitate towards working with a licensed insurance advisor for a few reasons. If mm -hmm. we, if we drop back to the bank insurance, that can be a tough pill to swallow because you're paying the same amount monthly on your insurance, but remember you're paying off your debt as time goes on. Yeah. So you're paying the same premium for a coverage amount that's actually going down, which, right. is, which is also you know, it's not an ideal situation if you could get something better elsewhere. Uh -huh. So many people are unattracted to that type of insurance because there's some um, logical flaws <laughs> to the whole thing. I mean, right. it's easy to put in place at the time, right? You're getting your mortgage. You're asked, do you want insurance on this? Of course you do. You want to protect your family. You put it in place. It's really easy to do. But um, if you if you look a little bit under the hood, you might find that there's a better product elsewhere. And it might even be cheaper uh, when you consult a licensed insurance advisor, because there is sometimes less risk for an insurance carrier. If they have a trained professional selling the insurance, they're more likely to get it right and get the risks right mm. versus the banker um, who might not know what's going on. So there might that might present with more risks down the road. So I think mm. many people will gravitate towards an insurance advisor who's who's like through their province and um, look and shop the market and see what's the best insurance carrier for them, um, who's offering the, you know, the right product at the right price, because there's different products at every company and, and everybody's giving you some, something different. So yeah, I would, I would imagine most people gravitate towards worth working with a licensed insurance advisor um, for, that, for those reasons. Hmm. Yeah, like a throwback to episode seven with Krista Lindstrom. Yeah, we, we first broached that. And of course, she shared a nightmare of an experience where she sold that bank life insurance policy on this mortgage. And then the husband died and the mm -hmm. widow was left without any insurance benefit. Yeah. 
Um, and that is what uh, inspired her to become a licensed life insurance uh, salesperson. And so Kim, I, I think uh, my guess is that, and I'd like you to confirm or deny, my guess is that um, part of the reason in difference in, in, in price and why it might be cheaper sometimes is those insurance policies that are linked to a mortgage or, or a loan or credit card, there's like no, there, there's like two or three questions. I think there's about five or six. Okay. The, one, the last time I looked anyway. Yeah, sure. There's, there's not very many questions. When you, when I got life insurance, even for a term policy, there was a lot of questions. Oh, pages. Yeah. And I had to go to a doctor. Uh-huh and everything. And so they have a really good idea of what my health is like and they do their risk assessment accordingly so that then maybe I can pay lower insurance because I'm not high risk, I'm not a smoker, for example, although I think that's one of the five questions anyways, but yeah. you know, they, they do a deeper investigation, which might not always be cheaper, but if certainly if you have good health, um, it might be cheaper. Is that, Am I, am I uh, on the right track? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So um, the more information an insurance company has on you, the better assessment they're going to make. They're going to get the risk right. Uh, that's really, really important to their, their overall business. That's all they're in the business for is managing risk. They want to make sure, because remember, there's people out there who buy stock in these insurance companies. They wouldn't buy stock in an insurance company if they just issued policies to everybody out there. So, so making sure that we find the right people is important so we know what our actual risk is and we have enough money to fund that particular risk. So I know, like I've heard many people in, in my travels complain about insurance companies and the, you know, the stupid underwriters don't know anything and all this kind of stuff, but they really have an important task of making sure that they understand the risk that they're taking on and that they're, they're bringing in enough money to cover that particular risk. Cause all we're doing when we're buying insurance is we're transferring that risk to a business. So they're not going to take it on unless they get something out of it too. It goes both ways. So yeah, I think you have to get those questions right? I mean, there's, yeah, there's pages and pages of questions. We're going to find out everything about you yeah. and your health history and, and your, you know, your parents and, and brothers and sisters, if they have serious things, we're going to know all about this because that's going to help the underwriters make a fair assessment of what you should pay for your insurance and whether they should extend this insurance to you at all. Smokers require, uh, they need to pay, you know, twice the price of, of uh, a non-smoker that, you you know, you get dinged for health issues. And that's why we always say to people, get insurance when you're young, before these issues pop up. Insurance is very, very affordable for people when they scoop it up in their 20s and 30s. So get this in place, even if you don't think you need it, uh -huh. um, because it can be very, very difficult to get policies put in place if you get uh, health problems or you might be able to get a policy, but you can't afford it. And that's really heartbreaking for, for families um, looking to protect their loved ones. Right. 
So just so that it's kind of said explicitly, the price of insurance is going to be tied to the risk that they're taking, which is measured by sort of the level of your health problems, whether it's good or bad, and whether that predicts whether you'll basically pass away young and they'll have to pay out or not. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. And age is a factor too. I mean, the older you get, the more likely you are to have health issues or, or pass away. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a number of factors that insurance companies look at when they're looking to extend insurance, but health is, health is really the major, right. the major one. Yeah. Right. And the price is also related to the amount of coverage, I imagine, that you want. Yeah, exactly. And right. I think a lot of people have fear when it comes to looking for insurance because they're what they have in their mind is they're going to meet with a salesperson, right? So they need insurance, they're going to meet with a salesperson, and this person sure. wants to sell them insurance. That's how they make their living. So insurance advisors have very little recurring revenue annually. They, for the most part, have to find clients every single year to earn income. So they're in a hunter-gatherer mode. They're looking for clients, people to sell insurance to. So people worry about that on in terms of what is the overarching motivations of this salesperson? Are they going to sell me the right amount? Am I going to get too much? What if it's expensive and I can't afford it? How do I tell them that's embarrassing? What do I do about this? So um, I think it's really important to find an insurance person that is caring about your situation. They will talk to you about issues. If you have a health concern that you're worried about, that's perfectly okay to bring up to your insurance person because they can go to the underwriters, the, the person who's you know going to look at your application and see where your risk is. They can go to them ahead of that application being processed just to see where things might shake out. So it doesn't need to be such a scary process, um, but it really is important to find, you know, if you're looking for a friendly salesperson, find your friendly salesperson. If you want a hardcore insurance guy who's going to put a big deal in place, well, find find that person. Really, mm -hmm. just you know, make sure you find the right professional because we do learn a lot about your health history and your finances and all this kind of stuff. So if there's things that you're worried about bringing up, it really is important to find somebody that you trust. Mm -hmm. So they're selling a product, but they're also there to help you through the process, it sounds like, and to help you, I mean, I guess, negotiate or talk about those things that might come up through the underwriting process. Is that right? Yeah. And there's the, be the beginning of the insurance, and then there's also the end of the insurance that people don't think about. Okay. So it, you put the insurance in place, the beginning, and maybe you put insurance in place for 20 years, 30 years, forever. Eventually a claim might have to be placed. You're sad, you're devastated, you're grieving, you don't know what to do. When you pick up the phone to call your insurance advisor, you want, you want somebody who's going to care about your situation. So it is also important to think about that scenario because maybe you're putting it in place, but your spouse is gonna have to make that claim. Will they feel comfortable dealing with this person down the road? You know, that's something that people don't really think about. But I can tell you, I, I end up bringing over lots of insurance policies that other advisors have sold, but they come to me later on and I become the new advisor because they say, well, I don't know that person. They never called me. I don't, my spouse wouldn't feel comfortable contacting them if something happened to me. Um, it, it, it's, you know, it's a, it's a really tough process when people pass away. So there is, there are those two sides of the coin, like find, mm -hmm. find a 
a good insurance advisor. They're, they're everywhere. There's tons of them, tons mm -hmm. of great people. Mm -hmm. I, I have a couple rabbit holes <laughs> that I would like you to guide us through, Kim. Uh, your choice. One is how insurance products can be used to help um, legally avoid paying taxes. Evan, weren't we supposed to keep this at the basics today? <laughs> your choice. That's why I said your choice. Maybe yeah. that's not a rabbit hole we choose to go down today, and that's okay. <laughs> Um, it's one of the, but it's definitely one of the most, in my opinion, most exciting and powerful aspects of insurance in a financial plan because, you know, the Canadian government loves our money and it wants it all the time. And so any way you can avoid giving it to the government legally, um, you know, I'm interested in learning more about. It. So we don't have to go down that rabbit hole. The other one is... Um, there's so many different insurance products and, um, they're all like, they're not all suitable for everyone. It depends on their plan and everything like that, their, their finances and, and, and everything like that. Um, but so Mike, what I would love to learn about is a little bit about life insurance, like um, ver term insurance versus insurance that doesn't expire, that you can have forever until you die. Like you said, it might be 30 years, it might be forever. Um, talk a little bit about those differences. Great question. So in Canada, I don't know of any life insurance that isn't tax exempt. There might be, I've read about it in textbooks that there, that there is a chance that an insurance policy could um, uh, have some sort of taxable consequences to it when you, when you have the claim. But for the most part, pretty much all life insurance is tax exempt in Canada. So what that means is you're buying insurance today, you give the insurance person or you work with them to figure out what you actually need. And by the way, there is a document that all insurance people need to complete. It's called the reason why letter. And the reason why letter has the insurance person typing out why they're, they're recommending this particular insurance. What are your needs? What is the amount? How do they justify this insurance? So that helps a little bit in terms of the trust relationship. So you understand why this insurance is actually being sold. You're not just trusting somebody to put an amount in place for you. So it's not just a salesman uh, selling a whole pile of insurance to you so they can earn commission and feed their kids. There's an actual reason behind this. So the insurance person will complete this reason why letter and put it all in place and um, make sure that you are getting the right amount. So let's say you need a million dollars of insurance that's gonna cover 20 years. Well, if somebody passes away before that 20 years is up, they get every dollar, everything. The government, to Evan's point, is not keeping any of that money. It's tax exempt. It's paid out to you without any taxes. So 
that's great. It's very reliable money and it generally gets paid out fairly quickly. So that can really help out people who are um, tight on cash. Um, they just don't have any extra savings or, or checkings, you know, money in their checkings account. They get this money pretty quickly and, and they get the whole kit and caboodle. So that's great. Um, there's other um, you know, benefits to this tax exempt thing, and we can get into that later. So Evan was talking a little bit about uh, insurance suitability. Like what, what are we buying and why are we actually buying it? So we have a couple scenarios in life that are, are going to, I mean, they're going to play out. Death is going to play out. We cannot stop death. That is going to happen. Yeah. So we know. We disagree. <laughs> we know that. Evan's going to be the first immortal. <laughs> uh, j just kidding. Carry on, Kim. You're going to die. Sorry, everybody. It's just a fact of uh, life. Now, whether we become disabled or ill is another thing, but that's another risk that we could have in our lifetime. What happens if we get sick or what happens if we lose an arm or a leg? Can we still do our job? So we're, we are really just insurance insuring against these these things from happening, right? What if we die? Do we want money to go to anybody on our death? What if we become disabled? Do we need to support ourselves, other people? What does that look like? If we get sick, I mean, nobody thinks they're going to get sick, but you guys have seen GoFundMe pages on the internet. They're absolutely everywhere. Well, that's usually an insurable situation. Every insurance person out there who sees these GoFundMe pages thinks to themselves, you know, we keep it on the inside. We don't say it out loud, especially at that time because it's sensitive, but we just think, why didn't you put critical illness insurance in place for you and your family so you didn't have to have your face next to the, that money meter? You know, that, that could be embarrassing for a family. So there are ways to insure these uh, surprises and these usually unwelcome surprises. So if we are going to pass away, we buy life insurance. So that means money is going to pay out to whoever we want money to go to. It could be your family member. It could be your friend. It could be uh, the bus driver who drove you to work for 30 years. You can give money to the charities that you support. So people will put life insurance in place because there is a need for money to be there when they are gone. So you guys probably bump up against that all the time when you are gathering uh, financial disclosure for your family law cases. Then we have disability insurance, which is which is sort of an interesting one. There's a lot of people who have disability coverage through their work plans. And they'll have, uh, not always, especially with, with small companies, they won't always have disability in place, but it is you know something that you see fairly frequently, but nobody knows what they actually have. So you'll sign up with a company, they'll say we have a great package, people will look up what they get for massage and dental usually. And then that's sort of, you know, about, you know, the, the full of it. But what's really important is to actually look at that disability amount, because that's in ensuring your income. You went to school, you worked your whole life for this paycheck. This is literally one of the most important pieces of information you can look up in your life. What is my company going to pay me if I can't work anymore? Right. And usually at 67% of your income, something along those lines, some companies will pay it out to you and it's taxed. So you don't get the full amount. You, it's, you get taxed on it and then you get your, your amount. Other companies will pay it out to you 
without any taxes because it was taken off your paycheck. You already paid the tax on that money. So when you're looking at your group benefits booklet from your work, you want to look to see how much you're going to get and if it's taxable or not. And then you'll know how much money is going to go into your checkings account at the end of every month or every two weeks or whatever it is um, if something goes wrong. And that is so, so important. You guys probably see that for spousal support. So if we have a situation where there's income that one spouse is relying on, how much disability money is going to be put in place to keep those spousal support payments going um, or those child support payments going? What if there is no disability in place? What then? So it is like a super important topic. And I can tell you, I have never ever in my life had a client when I've asked them what they have for disability that they say, oh, I know, I, you know, I get $4,000 a month or I get, you know, 67% of my income, mm -hmm. Kim, and it's X, Y, and Z. Like nobody knows that. So it is important to do that, you know, 20 minutes of work to figure out, will I be okay if I can't work anymore? Right. So I have a question about that, Kim. Yeah. I, I just pictured this happening, that what if somebody has disability insurance through work or whatever, and then they go and talk to their financial planner or advisor who then helps them buy some better disability insurance, um, is, is it common that... Uh, there would be a conflict there where one insurance will say, well, we're not paying because you had this other insurance in place. I know that's common with health insurance policies. I have great firsthand experiences to talk about that. But uh, is that also the case with disability? Yeah, normally what people will do is if they already have some type of disability in place through their work and it's just not enough, they'll layer on a little bit more. And it is important to have a good conversation with your advisor about that and coordinating those benefits because yes, that people can bump up against that. They'll think they're getting a certain amount, but the insurance company wasn't aware that they had other benefits elsewhere and they're just not going to pay out. So every excuse me, every policy, every insurance carrier has different terms and conditions for the insurance that they're issuing. There's different definitions of disability insurance. So there's cheaper insurance, disability for less coverage, or, um, um, you know, if you have a sort of a high level office job, you're going to probably purchase a different kind of insurance than if you're a trade worker and you have a lot more liabilities in your day-to-day -day work. So yeah, there's just, there's different definitions out there. There's different policies. Coordinating those two benefits is majorly important, Evan. And I think people need to, to, to start a job and ask for that the benefits booklet right off the bat. And if they don't understand it, go back to payroll, go back to HR, ask some questions. And if you still don't understand, take it to any insurance advisor out there. They're gonna tell you what you have right off the bat and what you might be able to coordinate with that particular insurance. Yeah, I, had, I ran into that problem because my employers, uh, while I was in Kuwait, wanted to you know, keep me on benefits like because it would be a good thing meanwhile my coverage through the forces was better but also was the wussiest of the two because both of them had the if you're covered by other insurance we don't cover and but uh 
yeah, so it's a good, it's just something to be aware of that that can happen where you may think you have coverage. And I even, we tried to claim, my family, we tried to have a, a claim under the, that public health services plan and thought we were covered. And after months of bashing our heads against the wall with the administrators who are bureaucrats in, in Ottawa, it's like not even proper insurance, okay? It's the, it's the government. <laughs> um, was a very frustrating experience. So luckily it was just health insurance stuff and not a huge deal. Could you imagine if it's disability and you think that you've insured, you've got enough insurance and then it turns out you've got half of what you thought or something like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of sad cases out there for people not really understanding what it is that they have. So for example, something goes wrong with them and they think that they will continue to get their disability paycheck for their whole life, but the insurance company, the terms on their booklet says, oh no, we're actually only gonna cover you for 24 months. And then you have to go back and do any job out there. So yeah. The, we know you want to go back and do the job you were doing before, but if you can be qualified to do a job that's similar in certain aspects, then we're going to cut you off completely. You have to go do this other job, even though you might hate it. It might, you know, give you, um, you know, back pain or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can do it. You're going to be doing that and you're not going to get disability anymore. So understanding those definitions, working with an insurance person who really understands disability insurance is so, so important. Um, but yeah, get to know your, your group benefits booklet. There's, um, sometimes you made a point about how they wanted to keep you on the insurance plan. Most insurance carriers. So the big carriers who offer these group benefits booklets or these group benefits plans to companies, they usually require three people. So there's a couple that offer these plans for two people, but they usually require three people to be on these plans to keep them going. So if you had a three person plan and one person was dropping off, then they're, their policy might not work anymore. So mm -hmm. that could be a reason that they might want to keep you on. I don't know. They, they wanted to keep me on because they thought they were helping me out. Um, the funny thing is, uh, both policies were administered by Sun Life. So that's how they, that's how they, like, no, you don't because you've got this other Sun Life policy in, in place. It's very frustrating. So I just don't, I don't want other people to have that experience. Figure out. Make sure there, that if you're paying for insurance that you know there's no conflict. Yes, yeah. And like, I would say that the majority of insurance advisors out there would request your benefits booklet if you're seeking out individual insurance because they want to see what you have over here and they need to include it as part of their needs analysis, right? right? So if they're doing their due diligence and they're doing their job, they would see what you have over here, what you could coordinate with those plans. They would talk to you about the different types of disability and the costs and how long you, you would stretch out this plan. So some disability insurance pays out two years, some five years, uh, some up to age 65. So making sure you get the right terms in place with the right conditions. Like there's some academics out there who've spent their whole lives, um, you know, studying and working to become an ophthalmologist, right? And then they do a few years of ophthalmology, let's say, and they become uh, unable to do their job anymore. Well, they don't want to retire. They could go be a professor somewhere. What if they bought the wrong insurance that forces them to stay off work? That would be horrible. They would want the insurance 
option to potentially continue to work in another capacity and still get their disability checks. So everybody's coming at disability from different angles and making sure you, you really nail down all those terms and conditions. And it can take a long time to work with a professional to wrap your head around this disability. What do you need? What are the extra bells and whistles that you might want on there? Mm -hmm. And and put what you actually need in place and, and maybe make cuts in your life in costs in other areas to put this really, really important paycheck in place. Because it really is, it really is one of the most important things Canadians can really think about in their whole lives, making sure we have disability coverage. And then there's critical illness. So critical illness is super interesting. It came, it came up by way of a doctor. So it was not the insurance companies that created the product, a doctor. So everybody's getting sick, diabetes, stroke, heart attack, um, you name it, all, all like Parkinson's, like MS, everybody's getting sick. Why is there no insurance that can cover this particular type of, of, of cover? How do I say this properly? Why is, why can we not get a chunk of money to help us when we get sick? Cause it might take 120 days for your disability money to kick in. What do you do if you can't work and you're waiting months and months for your disability check? Well, your debts are rising. Now, remember, your disability check's only going to typically give you enough money to keep your typical expenses going. It's not going to help you pay off the debt that you're incurring while you're waiting for it. So critical illness oftentimes is a really great type of policy to put in place because it will cover you for um, the, the months you're waiting for disability kick in. You can use it for medical costs. You can use it for anything you want. The insurance company is not going to ask you for receipts. If you go into the doctor and you have a qualifying illness and you live for 30 days from the diagnosis of your qualifying illness, this lump sum of money is going to get paid to you. No questions asked, no taxes on that money. And it's going to cover that GoFundMe need that people tend to have. So you can buy it on your, on your kids. If they get sick, you can get a lump sum of money. You can buy it on your spouse, on yourself. It, it, even if it's 20,000 or a hundred thousand, whatever, put something in place because the likeliness of getting ill is extremely high and people are struggling with with money so especially people who don't have a spouse to rely on single people well what do you do if you don't have enough money who do you ask mom and dad or friends maybe that's not what you want maybe you're independent you want to cover off your liabilities on your own you put critical illness in place and if you get sick you get your money and you can get treatments in the u.s you can you can go to disneyland with your family if you have have a terminal cancer, right? Like you just can take away a lot of those worries. So it's a really fascinating type of insurance. A doctor pushed it forward. It went through, it's in place. Canada has a kind of a cool little feature in our country where you can pay your premiums into this policy. And if you don't make a claim, you can get those premiums back like a forced savings account. We call it return of premium. Not everybody's into it because you have to pay quite a bit more uh, monthly to get that option. But if you're just, you know, if you don't think you're going to get sick, but you want to be responsible for your family, that's a great idea, right? It's going to be, you know, put in place. If someone gets sick, some money's there. And then if you, if you don't get ill, you get that money back after a certain number of years, depending on what that insurance company is selling. Right. 
I heard some stat somewhere, Kim, that one in is like one in five people over the age of 65 get one of the big critical illnesses like stroke, diabetes, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. I don't know what they all are, but um, does that sound, is that fear mongering or is that accurate? No, this, well, the stats are extremely high on everything. I remember once I was putting together a, a paper for some clients and, uh, or like kind of like a marketing type of piece because nobody knows what critical illness is. And I remember looking up the stats on diabetes and heart and stroke and um, MS, Parkinson's, uh, all of these, all of these issues. And I, I was absolutely floored, Evan, at the, um, the likelihood of, of us getting one of these problems. And it was like, eventually we were all gonna get something. When I, when I looked at the, usually insurance companies have covered 25 illnesses. And I was looking at these, I was like, everybody should have this. Like, we're all gonna get one of these things. We may as well get this type of insurance and make sure that we, you know, we, we are responsible for our families. So yeah, it's jarring, it's jarring. So that, the way that you describe that, Brings me to another question, which I'm going to hold for a second because I saw Heather ready to ask a question. I was just going to ask if critical illness is underwritten the same way life insurance is. So do folks have to go through that health, um, that whole health process that we talked about before with all the forms and the questions and the visits to the doctor? Yes. It yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, it is. They, and they, it's like... Yeah, it's tough. It can be sometimes tough to get critical illness policies put in place as you're as you get older because of mm -hmm. health issues, and it, it's covering your health, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, underwriters are extremely careful when issuing disability critical illness policies. So you can pop these things in place. There's, I mean, there's different terms that you can buy. So um, you can buy a a ten year term of critical illness and have the option baked into to continue to roll it over if you decide that you want more. Now, of course, it costs more, but, you know, at least there's an option there for you to keep it going if you do get sick. Uh, many people buy critical illness to cover them up to age 75. That's a very common policy that people buy um, because there's a pretty high likelihood that we're all going to get something by the time we reach by that, by that age. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so you look at what you're paying into it and how much money you might need um, to cover a problem. And I think, you know, there are some group benefits out there that actually have critical illness in their policies. It's, it's not as common. It, it is important. And usually what you'll find is about 25,000, 20,000 just tucked into your group benefits. And honestly, like who doesn't want that in place as a just in case, right? Sure. Like, I don't know what you guys have noticed on GoFundMe pages, but usually it's between 20,000 and 50,000 is usually what I see for common numbers. Mm -hmm. And um, if you put pop this insurance in place when you're younger, it's, it's not that expensive and it's just a whole pile of peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that thing too, of like, it's not just the person that gets sick and their income is lost, but, um, if you have a, a family member then taking care of you, so they're missing work or maybe they're losing their job because your, um, illness is a time consuming and puts pressure on the family that, that kind of thing can be so helpful at that time of crisis or illness or whatever. And like, what is a leading cause of divorce? Financial pressure, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it? I don't know. I heard that. 
think it's one of them anyway. Yeah, people, one of them. It's a biggie. People hating each other. <laughs> okay, I, I have some philosophical questions and I have a practical question. I'm going to start with the practical one because I feel like it's a it's a it's probably shorter answer. Um, so when you think about um, health insurance or even like term life insurance, there's no like end date. You just keep paying. And then, you know, when you need it, you make a claim and, and that's that. For disability and or critical illness, do either of those types of policies commonly have like uh, you're all paid up, now you're covered with this insurance for the rest of your life? Mm. End date? Okay, so a couple things. So I forgot to answer your question about term versus forever insurance on life insurance. So I'll, I'll dip into that and then we'll kind of work at that paid up type of insurance where you can pay it all up early and then just have it in place. So life insurance comes in two different formats. So we have the cheaper type of life insurance and the more expensive type of life insurance. And I say that in jest a little bit because if you if you look at how insurance companies price out the the cheaper insurance versus the more expensive insurance, they're they do it in a really intelligent way. It actually isn't more expensive technically to buy the forever insurance if you need something that's going to last a long time. But here's the way this works. So the cheap insurance is called term. It has an end date. Now you have the, the possibility of potentially extending that term insurance. Uh, there's a renewable uh, part of that term, typically on term policies, but it's super expensive to roll it over past the date that you originally committed to. Because the insurance company says, well, you bought the cheaper one, you got the good deal, and now you want it, it for way longer. Well, we're going to make you pay on that. So people generally buy this term insurance with a very clear idea that they only need it for a certain amount of time. So for example, a mortgage, right? So we have a 20-year mortgage. People want coverage in place for 20 years. So they'll buy a term 20 piece of insurance. And then after 20 years, they look at that renewal cost. They think, holy smokes, like I'm not going to renew this. My, my debt's done. I'll be fine without this. And then it, it collapses. So you've paid into these premiums for all these years. You don't get anything back. There's no money back to you because you didn't make a claim. It is what it is. It's a, a short term or a finite term. And it's meant to be a little bit more cost effective for people who are tight on money because we shouldn't discriminate, um, you know, based on income, family income. People deserve to be able to transfer their risk to the insurance companies. They need something to put in place. So term insurance is great for that. Then we have the forever insurance, which is called permanent insurance. And it can be, you know, several multiples in cost compared to the term insurance. Like you'll see sometimes five times the cost on these policies because they are going to eventually pay out. As long as you keep up your payments, these policies will pay out money. And that's why they cost a lot up front. You can buy different types. Some have level payments for your whole life. Some have increasing payments over your term, depending on the type of permanent insurance you buy. But they do pay out. And the insurance company is aware of that. They eventually have to have this money available. 
So, um, so, so those are the two types of insurance that people purchase. In the permanent side, there's four common types of permanent insurance. And I don't think anybody wants to listen to me rattle off what these are, but your insurance advisor will cover this with you when they're trying to determine what should you buy, the kind that's cheaper that eventually runs out and you get no money back out of it, or the kind that you could potentially get a little bit of pool of money building up that you can borrow from, and it's also going to pay up down the road. Now, some people say, well, I like the permanent. I want it in place forever. I know I'll eventually want money for my kids because I plan to spend all my retirement money, but I still want money for my kids. Or we have a family cabin. We don't want fights. We'll put insurance in place so money's there for the taxes, for everything to be covered so the family cabin can stay in the family. They'll put these particular policy, these these permanent policies in place, but they don't want to pay until they're like a hundred years old. So to Evan's point before, you can buy the kind of insurance where you pay it up in 10 or 15 or 20 years. So you pay quite a bit more up front, but then the payments stop. So while you're earning income, you've got a good paycheck, extra money at the end of every month, pay down more into this thing. And then down the road, you don't have to worry about keeping up these payments as potentially your income drifts off or something, you know, a surprise thing happens and you don't actually have the money anymore. So the paid up insurance is really, really common for uh, life insurance policies and, and putting those in place. So um, as far as I'm aware, you're only doing that for life insurance policies. Disability, eventually disability stops when you stop working. So there's no like pay forever on these types right. of plans. And critical illness, um, I'm really aware of terms going up to age 70. I, I'm, I'm not aware of any paid up critical illness. Well, Although there I, could be, there could be. I guess what I mean by that, Kim, is like for critical illness, for example, um, at 75, you would get if you didn't use it, you get the you would get the return of premiums, right? So uh, I guess my question was is for critical illness, is there like um, a ceiling where you, where you've paid it up? Like let's say you buy it when you're 50 and you pay it by the time you're 60. Like is there I seem to recall there being some kind of insurance product where you could actually, you didn't have to necessarily uh, just keep paying all the time. You could actually pay all of the uh, premiums. Yeah, there could be. I, I don't know off the top of my head. I can't think of one, but well, sure there is. There, yeah. I mean, insurance companies get pretty creative on trying to sell their products. So yeah. there could well, be a, a paid up critical illness, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it's important to note, you kind of, you kind of said it without saying it directly, but, and anybody who's buying insurance from an insurance broker will, will be told this, but, um, you know, even if you buy permanent insurance, if you stop paying your premiums, then the insurance will eventually lapse sometimes sooner, sometimes later, depending on what kind of policy and if there's cash value. And, uh, and then you don't have the insurance anymore. So I, sometimes I think people may think that, oh, I bought permanent insurance, I've always got it. And unless it's fully paid up, like you were saying, Kim, uh, if you don't pay your premiums, then you, no, you don't have insurance anymore. Yeah. And what are the consequences if somebody, uh, you know, let's say they bought this um, permanent insurance starting when they were younger, like 30 or so, and then now they're 65, and if their insurance policy lapses, is that, is that a bad thing? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just heartbreaking. You know how, you know how when you're younger and you just think about dating someone and you're like, do I want to get into this kind of commitment? This could be a long commitment. Do I like commitment? And I was always one scared of commitment. I'd run away from everybody. So I like, I get nervous sometimes just because of my personality that people put these big time commitments in place. And sometimes they'll do it on their kids' lives and want their kids to take over these policies down the road. And the kids are like, I don't want this. It's too expensive or it's stupid. I don't have any meat for it. But they put these policies in place and they pay in so much money that you get in so deep that you almost need to keep paying them up. And mm. sometimes people feel resentment towards their family members who put it in place for them. Um, cause they're, you know, they're 48 years old and they've been paying into this thing. They, they don't know why they're finally starting to think about it. And they're like, I don't even need this. And 150 bucks a month out of my checkings account goes towards this insurance. I don't even want. And yeah, you get in so far that, um, you know, you have to keep it going. Now you would consult your insurance advisor at that point. You wouldn't just let it lapse without talking to somebody. Um, cause to Evan's point, there are, there many of these permanent policies have cash that builds up on the side. Not all of them, but many of them do. So if you don't want to pay anymore, many of these policies will start to use that little cash bucket to keep paying that insurance and keep it in place for longer. Um, but not all of them have that option. So yeah, when you're buying permanent insurance, make very darn sure you know why you're buying this and that there will be a need for it down the road because mm. if you don't buy the paid up for 20 years then you're going to pay this thing until you're 100 years old most of these stop payments at 100 you get you get that bonus offer if you can make it to 100 and a letter from the queen right well, you know easy to get. I had to apply for my grandma and actually my sister applied for my grandma. It took forever to get the letter from the queen. That is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> I wonder if she sent one to her mom when her mom passed a hundred. Oh, I don't know, Evan. I don't know. Wow. Um, That's interesting. Hey, I got, I've got two philosophical questions, which again, I'll give Heather a chance to jump in before I ask them. And no, I'm very curious about these philosophical questions. Okay, philosophical question number one. Yeah. For Kim McDonald. I'm just glad felt, it's not for I me, just, the record. I just felt like at a moment, for a moment, like I was on like those old uh, dating game shows, you know, like bachelor number one, this question's for you. <laughs> If you had to choose one insurance policy. Yeah. <laughs> Would you choose and why? Okay. Uh, Kim. Yes. I just wanted you to talk a little bit about like the role that insurance, both life and disability and critical illness, the role that that plays in our society and like the policy reasons behind like why we want a robust insurance industry. Mm. I have heard, I don't know what the statistics are on this, but I've heard that Canadians uh, per capita have a significant amount of insurance compared to the other um, countries in the developed world. So maybe we have a 
conservative nature to us. Maybe our salespeople have done a great job selling insurance. Maybe the insurance companies have amazing marketing that creates um, a fear that people need to cover. I'm not quite sure why our insurance industry is so active and so healthy, but people want to protect themselves. They worry about their family members. Maybe it's a, it's a caring thing and people just want to make sure that their family members are okay. Let's say you have a disabled child. They can't take care of themselves. Maybe it's an adult child with severe anxiety and depression. What do you do for your child if you don't have a ton of money? Well, the only way to protect them likely is to put insurance in place and make sure that it's protected um, from their, or make sure their government benefits are protected from that pool of money. But but people have strong connections to their family members and they want to make sure that they're going to be okay. So if we have a scenario where somebody maybe doesn't have a lot of savings for their retirement and they want to make sure that their kids get something because they didn't. When their parents passed away, they got nothing. Maybe they want to put insurance in place so their kids don't have the same experience that they did. And I think there's a lot of emotion that gets built into this. I know I, I feel strong emotions about people having coverage because being in this industry, we hear the sad stories. We hear more of those sad stories. Like little kid gets eye cancer, has to fly to Toronto, parents have to take time off work. One has disability, one doesn't. There's another kid. How do we how do we juggle all this? Where do we get the money to be flying back and forth? Um, so I think it really pulls at the heartstrings. And, and when people say, you know, am I going to be okay? And we look at their financials, we think, geez, you're not going to be okay. Your family members are not going to be okay if something happens to you. So why don't we put something in place to protect? And, and maybe we don't have to put everything in place, but let's put something, right? Like many people are caught up on the idea that we have to cover the entire liability. You know what? It's better to cover some of it than none of it. So why don't we put a little bit in place? Maybe it will help them for a few years, to, just enough time to get them back on their feet. But um, I, think, I think it is a very emotional thing and we care about our family members we love them or we care about our friends deeply like the lgbtq community has had issues with their family members they want their friends their their friends or their family they want them to be um better off when they pass away like everybody's coming at this from different angles how do we protect our loved ones and give people a leg up if we can and that's why they buy insurance that yeah. um, brings up a story, Evan. Did you want to no, ask yourself no, a philosophical question? Okay, this I is a practical question, but we can go back to philosophy in a second. Um, we, I guess we've been sort of talking or assuming in like a family context where spouses are leaving um, the money or the beneficiaries to one another, but can anybody insure their own lives or someone else's lives? Can you put anybody as a beneficiary on your life insurance policy? Hmm. Yes. So this kind of feeds into the, uh, the separation divorce world in a way. So in, in the insurance world, they created two types of beneficiaries. There's a regular beneficiary and you can change this person. If somebody doesn't treat you right, you can take them off your policy and put your favorite kid on and take the other kids off. Whatever, it can be changed and altered. Then there's an irrevocable benefit. Sorry, can that be like a friend too or your neighbor down the road or whoever? Okay. 
charity friend okay. whoever yeah okay. you put whoever you you like on there as your beneficiary okay. and there's also the irrevocable so this is the unchanging so we're putting this in place and you can't change this you can't change your mind down the road we are putting this in place unless that person passes away you're not changing who that is unless i'm, I'm guessing there's probably some court cases where it's been overturned but i don't know of any myself mm. so lots of insurance products have this irrevocable beneficiary. So in the investment world, we have segregated funds. Um, you can have uh, irrevocable beneficiaries on those. Um, you can have irrevocable beneficiaries on life insurance. And you'll often see that in separation agreements where people say, well, my spouse has um, a commitment to pay me a certain amount of money over a certain number of years. Um, if they pass away, we want to make sure that there's coverage in place so they can make me whole on those payments. So what you don't want is that beneficiary changing over time. Uh, we have had some cases where people are not insurable, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So they'll put their spouse's name on their RSPs because it's the only money that they have. But those unfortunately aren't irrevocable. You, you can change those and there is a significant amount of risk to that scenario. So life insurance can present a really tidy way of covering those spousal and child support payments by, by indicating an irrevocable beneficiary on a policy that covers a specific term and then every everything's good. But yeah, we have different, sometimes parents will take out permanent insurance policies and they get sick of paying into them over time. They can put a new owner on that policy. So it's on their life. Nothing's changed in that way. They're they are the insured still, but you can change the owner um, and beneficiary of that policy potentially to, to keep it going. Um, so many doctors will buy permanent insurance policies and sometimes they'll have their kids take them over and mm. kids will, rather than add to their RSPs, they'll just wait for mom and dad to die and get a big, big windfall from the parents paying into these permanent policies for years so lots is lots is lots can be changed the owner is the person who is responsible to pay the premiums yeah the yeah well the the yeah correct yeah okay and um, the, uh, a question that you didn't ask heather but that maybe because you didn't know to ask it is yes um one of the is one of the questions that's asked if it's litigated for example is is there an insurable benefit here, which can relate to like, can you just own a life insurance policy on JLo or something? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this life insurance policy on like, let's say it's the early '70s, and you're like, Elvis is not looking great. Right. Yeah. I think his yeah. his time's coming up. I'm gonna buy a life insurance policy on Elvis. Yeah. Kim. Can't do it, Evan. You're absolutely right. There, you're right. There, there's got to be a legitimate reason for putting this insurance in place. You can't just pie in the sky, pick a person, and and uh, put a policy in place on them. Heather's really been living risky lately. I'm gonna get an insurance policy on her. That seems good bet. <laughs> put it in place quickly because the air conditioning is still not working up here. I may, I may expire. The your forehead's sh getting shinier. Mine's like it's, it's really warm up here. Um, 
Oh, he's going to ask about irrevocable beneficiaries. I had thought, and maybe it depends on the policy, that with the consent of that beneficiary, you could change that. So potentially in the spousal situation, if you're all paid up on your spousal support and you're um, and my husband agreed to, or my ex-husband, then he might let me change the beneficiaries to the gas station attendant or whoever it is I, w- I, I want to change it Heather. to. Is that, is that correct? Or is it set in stone forever? No, I, I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you're correct. I've never done that paperwork okay. before, but I'm pretty sure you just need their consent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Right. Okay. Uh, Philosophical volley back to you, Evan. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay. (laughs) Like, this is going to come out as like four questions, but it's kind of one question. So I'll just ask the whole thing. Um, How does insurance fit into a financial plan? Why do we need insurance? What function does it serve? Okay, it was only three, but yeah, that's what I'm interested to know. Like, Okay, I know insurance is an important part of a of a balanced breakfast of a balanced in, in financial plan, but why? What what's that function? Yeah, I'll give you the process that a financial planner would typically go through, and I think it might answer your questions. So, when somebody's looking to figure out where they're at with their money and where they're going with their money, and what it looks like uh, when they want the option to retire, or what it looks like when um, they choose their their date of death, um, what we'll do is we'll gather a whole pile of information. So, one of the first things we ask for are their um, pension estimates, and we ask for their group benefits booklets. So group benefits booklets are going to give us life insurance, disability insurance, critical illness, and travel insurance. These are all very important. Travel is very, very important, um, especially when people are retired. You have a layover in the United States and you don't have travel coverage and you get sick. Well, see you later, retirement, right? Like these things are crucial to have in place. Many people rely on their credit cards for their travel insurance, but if you look at the fine print, there's an age that you reach and these things are no longer covering you for what you thought they were. So making sure you have the proper travel insurance is important. So we ask for that group benefits booklet. It tells us a lot of good stuff. Then we look at their pension information and we start to figure out what they have for money. Then we get their bank statements. We see what they have for money in their savings as an emergency fund. And we look to see what they have for investment. So we start to build a story. So we have what their retirement money potentially is going to look like because we'll be able to look at what they get for government benefits like CPP and old age security. We'll have their pension estimates if they work to when they tell us that they're going to work. We have their start to get their insurance pieces together, what they have for life insurance through their work or how long do they plan to spend at their work? What happens if they leave their work? What do they have for disability? Any critical illness? Maybe we need to just explain to them what critical illness is. They've never had it before. So we go through those items and now we've got their investments and we can see how long we can project their investments to grow based on their retirement. And we go through a full risk analysis. How much risk can they handle? How much is their money likely to grow based on their risk tolerance? So we start assembling all these little pieces and when you tie it all together it's pretty it's it's pretty easy to see where people's liabilities are so if you don't have disability coverage well we're going to bring that up to people and say if you can't work anymore and you can never ever make any more money what are you going to do 
And people will explain to us, well, I've never thought about that. Or my spouse makes enough money, I'm fine. Okay, great. We've had the conversation. Now you know your liability. You're not blind. You can't just pretend you don't know this information. Okay, next up, do you have a family member who is in a, in a pickle because they got sick? Do you have a friend who is on a GoFundMe page? Does that is that something that's okay with you? Or do you want to make sure you cover that liability? Maybe it's just a couple bucks. Maybe it's, you know, $20,000 dollars you put in place but at least you put something in place is that important to you for some people they say i won't get sick i don't want to pay into it i don't have any extra money well at least you brought it up to them and they've declined so now they're not blind to this particular type of insurance something might cue them a couple of years from now somebody might get sick and they'll say you know what i remember that insurance i think i need to go buy it or i remember that insurance i don't have enough money but grandma and grandpa are offering to pay pay for something for me maybe i'll ask them to chip in for this type of insurance so so that's important and then when we look at their life insurance and they say, well, I hate my job. I'm not going to stick around at my job. And we're like, well, what are you going to do for life insurance when you leave your job? Is it important to you to have money for your family if you pass away? And some people say, no, my family will be fine without me. They'll sell the family cabin. Okay, great. Well, we've discussed it. You know, the family now knows the plan. If you get sick, sell the family cabin. There's enough money there uh, potentially for that scenario. Or, no, there isn't enough money. So let's talk about how much we need to put in place so you'll look at income are we replacing the breadwinner's income so if that's the case then we have special tools to crunch those numbers so if you make seventy thousand dollars a year and you die at 38 years old but you are planning to work until age 65 well we need to cover that gap between age 38 and 65 we need to have enough money for your spouse now maybe we trim that back because you're no longer in the picture eating the food spending the money but maybe we need to consider that we have money in place for your kid's education? Is that important to you as a family to, to make sure that their post-secondary is paid for? Do you want to chip into your kid's weddings down the road? Your wife might have a difficult time or your husband might have a difficult time saving up for the, these things on their own. Do we put money aside for those? How much money do we put aside to cover your income? So we project that out and say, okay, the value of your income going out that far in today's money is X, Y, and Z. So this is a baseline for your life insurance. And then sometimes we'll have money for nannies. So a spouse may say, well, I will go back to work, but I'm going to need childcare. So what kind of nanny do you want? A live-in nanny? Do you need childcare? Are your grand are the grandparents going to take care of the kids for part of the time? What happens if something happens to the grandparents? What's plan B? So we talk about all these needs and what's important to the family to cover because we're just here to sniff that out. We're not here to push insurance on anybody. We're just here to present their liabilities and people will choose off the menu what they want to cover. And then we come up with quotes based on what it is that they're looking to cover. And people will say, oh, you know, I'd really love to cover this one thing, but I just don't have the extra money for that so now I know that this is a gap for me and I'll have to deal with it in a different way or at least I know it's it might be an issue down the road and you just you know you keep it in your back pocket until maybe you make more money you can apply for more insurance that kind of thing so there's a proper needs analysis that's done by all insurance advisors um, just making sure that they they put enough in place to to help out that family and and educate people on what their liabilities are so is that is that helpful evan 
That was a very comprehensive answer, Kim. <laughs> yeah, it is helpful to get like a, a glimpse in, you know, into what kind of analysis that you would do to help people decide how much insurance they need. And how important is it, right? Like making sure that people's families are okay. What if you're an insurance advisor and you didn't spend the time to figure things out and your, your spouse passed away and there wasn't enough money? How, you know, how horrible, how horrible. As a professional, you didn't do your job. You were meant to educate people and fill them in on, on what could be done. Now, some people say, well, I have serious illness. I can't qualify for the insurance. I tried before and I got declined. So in that scenario, there are insurance policies called simplified life insurance. So you can get insurance that doesn't go through the typical medical underwriting. You usually get less and you have to pay more, but insurance can be put in place. So maybe where you wanted $100,000 of life insurance, now you can only get $50,000, but it, for the same amount as, as that $100,000 you wanted, you only get fifty. dollars but at least something's in place. And it is right. just the luck of the draw. If you have poor health, I mean, the insurance companies, you know, they're going to judge you on that. So, so it kind of goes back to get your insurance when you're young. If you, yeah. if you have good health, when you're young, just put something in place. Cause it's going to be really cheap to get, get it there. And you won't have to be so stuck down the road. So, yeah. So someone could come to you, Kim, and they're not obligated then. Like you can do the whole meal deal quote, have the chats with them and they can look at that then and pick and choose what, I guess, which products give them the most comfort, what they can afford in their budget. Um, and I think you said that like most of them depend on the amount you're getting insured for too. So you could maybe do a little bit of each or, or the full amount of all of them or whatever, depending on what you want. Exactly. People, they have the full control of this situation. And it mm -hmm. is pretty important to be, you know, with your spouse in the meeting, having these conversations, because mm -hmm. what, like, think of it this way, like, you are putting insurance in place on your own life. So I pass away and I put a certain amount of money in place thinking that my spouse is going to want to live a certain way. What if my spouse doesn't agree with that? What if they wanted more money? Or what if they wanted less money because their lifestyle would change? Like it really is important to not only talk to your spouse about what you want for them, but also what they want for themselves. Right. Because sometimes that doesn't necessarily line up. Right. And it is, it is, you know, it's part of the needs analysis. What are we actually trying to cover here? Yeah. Wow, this has been like a a comprehensive introduction to the world of insurance yeah, like I wanted to use the word masterclass but obviously it wasn't a masterclass but it was like a masterclass introduction <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah, I, I wanted, sorry, Kim, go ahead. I was going to say, I think insurance is boring to read about, but it actually is pretty interesting conversationally. So I think this podcast will probably be a lot more interesting for people than to like go on the internet and start reading up on insurance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it might not be for everybody. Like, I get it. It's not like the sexiest topic necessarily, like being really prepared is not the sexiest thing to talk about, but um yeah, one thing that, that I was thinking about as we were talking about it, and you know, obviously I had my philosophical questions because I was thinking about, uh, I've been reflecting lately just on our society, the, the, the kind of 
economic protections that we have in our society and, and how our wealth as a society is so high compared to history, any time in history that you want to choose, um, it's pretty remarkable. And we definitely take it for granted. And I think a key part of that is definitely um, a healthy insurance industry because it's uh, that's what allows big payouts to people that need it. Um, and uh, which takes the strain off of other resources in the community versus if there was no healthy insurance industry and uh, what the government would take care of it. And it, maybe would they, I don't know, you know, like it, it's so um, it's an important part of like the mosaic that makes up our societal safety net, I think. Hmm. Anyways, um, my closing thought is I just wanted to update our listeners uh, on our previous Kim McDonald episode. I think it was your episode, Kim, where, where we were talking about, it might not have been your episode, but I think it was, where we were talking about, um, you know, how, how the, uh, what's, what's, I can't even remember now, the certified financial divorce specialist, right? Oh, I, got it, I got it wrong when I was rattling it off in our, in that podcast. It, so it's, Certified Financial Divorce Analyst and Chartered Financial Divorce Specialist? No. Chartered Financial Divorce Specialist and Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. I was going back and reading that transcript and I was like, I got the designation completely wrong. I said it completely wrong. I don't know what it well, is. Well, this is an important retraction that we had to issue then. Um, okay, so one of those, because now I'm not even going to bother. Trying to restate them. Don't ask, because I don't even know. I have the credential, but I don't know what it's called. But one of the things <laughs> that, you, that you can do there is help people preparing their financial disclosure, uh, getting into a useful format for the lawyers and everybody to kind of see, right? Yeah. What, I mean, I think lawyers would just be so pleased if people just showed up with a tidy you know, chart of their expense, expected expenses down the road, a tidy little organized assets, mm -hmm. correct, like it's correct, and what they have for insurance, and, you know, how everything, um, you know, how, how their income versus their expenses looks, just having a nice, tidy, accurate little picture probably would just make a whole pile of lawyers' lives so much easier <laughs> so we're putting it to the test here because the update i wanted to provide was i just referred somebody to kim one of my clients to kim mm. and uh you know we'll see if if the client ends up ends up doing it i i encourage them to do it uh because otherwise i'm gonna have to do it and i was like staring down the barrel of doing this i'm like yeah i can do it it's gonna cost some money i'm like oh wait kim kim can do it so yes, she can. Yeah, so we'll see. I hope. I hope. Uh, I just wanted to get an interim update. Hopefully, we get a final update of like, yeah, we did it and it was awesome. So awesome. Yeah, my goal is to take on one one of these a month and see see how that fits in with my typical business that I run, and then over time, you know, maybe just add more as we go. But um, 
yeah, I think it's it's fascinating, right? Helping people organize their investments, their insurance. I know the answers. It's easy for me to do it. I've got mm-hmm. software to lay it out. Mm-hmm. Hand it over to the lawyer. The lawyers are going to be pleased. And yes. um, fascinating is not the right word. It, it may be fascinating to you, but that and that's what's so great about it. It's not fascinating <laughs> to most people. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just wanted to give that update, and hopefully we'll have more to follow on that. Yeah. Uh, Heather, closing thoughts. Um, thank you, Kim, as always, to share your wonderful fountain of knowledge with us. Um, this is definitely one of those topics that I find very difficult to stay engaged with when reading, but it's been a lovely conversation, as you said, to chat about this stuff and learn more about it. Awesome. Kim, any closing thoughts? Anything we didn't cover? Uh, you wanted to? You know, there's a few things I have down, but I think we could do another insurance podcast on group benefits, maybe a little bit more in terms mm. of what happens in divorce when one spouse is on the plan, what what next, what can they do next to get health and dental in place, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then maybe we could do a more um, high-level insurance podcast for business owners. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you guys to choose, but uh, there's definitely more to talk about. So let's, let's put a pin in it and bring it back one day yeah heather can i just uh make a request that we do one where we talk about the strategy of using insurance to secure child support and or spousal support payments sure because that could be that could be something that people don't really think about as an option necessarily most of the time that could be maybe not but maybe i'm right in town Excellent. Okay. Well, on that note, this has been another episode of Access to Justice. Thanks for listening and or watching. And if you have any questions you'd like us to address on the podcast, send an email to access to justice podcast at gmail.com. That's access, the number two, justice podcast at gmail.com. And we'll do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. I was going to ask, hey, Kim, have we got any emails? But then I realized we actually haven't published any episodes yet. <laughs> So no, nobody is sending us questions. Yes. Uh, Although when they're watching this, this will be published. So maybe yes. they will have. Oh, someone send a Slurpee. <laughs> All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll uh, see you next time. Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Malarick Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Malarick, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters.